What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another edition of our live Q&A show here on the Spotify Live app. We try to do these every Saturday morning, 10.30-ish Eastern time. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the editor-in-chief of Friday Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, as always, you might hear the birds in the background. Not so much anymore. Oh, no, I do still hear them. There they are. Uh, Senior editor of Friday Detroit. You can find him at Ryan underscore POD. Ryan Matthews is here. Chirp, chirp, and we're not talking tweets, folks. We're talking Lions football today. That's right. Big week. OTAs begin. Oh, yeah. Uh, get our first look at the full team out there on the practice field. Um, someone who I know is itching to be out there with them, hasn't been able to be out there yet, but will at some point, is our uh, our managing editor of Pride of Detroit. You can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. It's Eric Schlitt. Oh, I was so disappointed when my home project carried over into the second day and I was not able to go. Uh, I will be there next week though. I'm excited for that. There you go. I was, I was sending you little updates to just so that you can kind of wet your beak a little bit there. Oh, drove me nuts. Drove me nuts. (laughs) I wanted to know more. (laughs) Wet the beak. This is really like turning into a bird podcast. (laughs) Is that that what we're, (laughs) well, Lions Eagles week one. There you go. Oh, wow, dude, you're really good at this. (laughs) All right, Uh, enough of our chit-chat. On these shows, we like to bring in our live audience, and that's what we're going to do. We have a bunch of callers waiting to to have their questions answered, and let's start with Richard. Richard, good morning. Hi, how's it going? Can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear. How are you doing? Good, doing well, doing well. How about you? Good, good. Nice. Okay, so I don't necessarily have a specific question. It's more of kind of like a hot take opinion. And I wanted to, and I feel like most people will disagree with me, but I think it's an interesting discussion to have. Okay. So, you know, we all see, see the Lions schedule, surface level. It's, it's a pretty easy schedule, at least based on what we know about teams based on last season. You know, it's a pretty favorable, you know, pretty favorable schedule. And so my biggest worry as a Lions fan, I'm more concerned about long-term success as opposed to short-term success. Sure. So I guess you could say I'm afraid that they might win too many games. I know it's crazy. I know most people are going to disagree with that. But, you know, the whole quarterback situation, it's really unfortunate there wasn't a quarterback to take this year. Yeah. But, you know, until the Lions get a guy who's top 10 caliber, you know, they're really not going to go anywhere. Yeah, they might fight for a wild card spot maybe win a playoff game but you know if you were to ask me right now and i'm sure i might change my tune once the season starts right but i would honestly rather win four games and pick in the top you know top five 
than maybe fight for a wild card, win seven to nine games and lose the wild card the first round and get that quarterback, you know, because Stroud, you know, young, you know, it's looking like a decent quarterback class. Obviously, we aren't going to know for sure. But, you know, and, you know, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you can trade up. But, you know, if the Lions are picking 11 to 15, you know, to go up to one, two, you know, that takes a lot of real estate. That takes a lot of ammo. And, you know, they're going to have to give up a lot of future draft capital in order to make that move. So, you know, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. I know it's crazy, but, you know, I would rather have long-term success as opposed to, you know, capitalizing on an easy schedule and maybe making a wild card. It's it's an interesting discussion to have, Richard, because I think you're right. Like, and, and this is why I know Ryan would, you know, not just because he was so hung up on Malik Willis, but because the timing made so much sense to get a quarterback this year. It is kind of unfortunate that just didn't line up. And and this is this is a, a problem that that Mina Kime proposed, right? Uh, she she basically said the same thing. Like, the Lions don't want to be too good this year because they're going to miss out on that quarterback. Now, my at least my point of view is you like this team's obviously this team's not going to tank right and i don't think you're proposing that they should um but i i I guess my overall thought is just like you try to be the best team you're out there and and i mean you can win football games with a mediocre quarterback you maybe not championships but at some point the opportunity is going to present itself to get a quarterback so you know i don't know i it's a tough discussion to have because I, I think there's there's a little there's definitely some legitimacy to your to your concern there Richard I guess my overall point though would be just at some point you're you're going to be able to find a way to to really go and get your guy and there are teams in which they have tried like Indianapolis I, I think we can all point to as a team that feels like they figured everything out but quarterback and and they're definitely a a cautionary tale but there are plenty of op- uh, other you know, the, the Broncos went out and got um, Russell Wilson. Um, you, you can trade up. I mean, I, I hate to use Patrick Mahomes as an, as an example with the Chiefs, but, like, a lot of people compare the line situation to that right now. Is like they have their Alex Smith. They need to go eventually get their Patrick Mahomes. And the opportunity is going to present itself at some point. That's that's at least how I feel. I'm, I'm curious. I want to open this, to, uh, this up to the rest of the guys because I don't think you're alone in your concern, Richard, and I don't think it's a concern that we can just, like, pass off as eh, they'll, they'll figure it out go go ahead eric all right i'll i'll uh i'll jump in and say that I, I really don't care how many games they win and i don't really care where the draft spot is um you there are like you just said there are ways to find quarterbacks right and when you have quarterback classes that have what you know more than one player that looks like they're going to be like a capable starter you typically can find a quarterback. You don't have to trade all the way up to one. Like you can find a quarterback at like seven to 12, like in that range as well. Especially if, like you said, if you're, if you're comfortable with a, you know, above average quarterback, but you don't necessarily, if you're out of the elite range, like you can still get a really good quarterback. Like for example, um, like you mentioned Mahomes. I mean, Mahomes went 10, uh, two picks later, Deshaun Watson went at 12, right? Um, a year later, Josh Allen went at seven. In, in 2019, it was a down year where they really had, they didn't have the talent and and it kind of, and it showed, right? Uh, two years after that, Herbert went at, at six, right? 
Um, and last year we talked about uh, Justin Fields, you know, he went all the way at 11, right? So, and Mac Jones even went at 15, right? So you can find quarterbacks in a little bit deeper class at different spots. You don't always have to, you know, give everything up in order to go up to like one or one or two to get one of the top guys. It, if you can, do you do it? Absolutely. Right. But there are other ways. And, and like when you brought up Russell Wilson, I think that there's this, um, I don't think that trend is going away. I think there are going to be quarterbacks that are going to be available that are going to be soured on their team that are going to be looking for new opportunities. And, and I think the lions will have a nice, collection of talent that will be appealing to to certain quarterbacks so I'm not worried about winning too many games because I think what we've seen out of the draft so far Brad Holmes has has really had a nice pulse for how the drafts have played out he's known when he can move up or where exactly he should move up when he you know can can sit on a, on a position and so I I think you play your game you develop your players and you let next year take care of next year. Ryan, as, as part of team draft a quarterback this year, and, and one of your biggest concerns was, I don't know if the Lions will be able to trade up and get a top tier guy this year. How, how do you feel right now about the Lions quarterback situation? I, I think it's just one that the Lions have to play out, right? Like they have made their bed and now they need to sleep in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, may, maybe Jared Goff ends up being, like you said, Jeremy, a quarterback that can that can keep you keep you moving forward, can win you football games, might not win you a championship, but right now, is it championship or bust for the Lions? Like it, it like that's where it seems like expectations are like skyrocketing, right? It's like, well, the Lions need to have a Super Bowl caliber quarterback right now. Like, calm down, relax. Like this is year two of the rebuild. So I mean, like let's 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 see at least. And 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 this is the I mean this is the. This is the move that that Holmes made, right? Like trading the franchise quarterback, Matthew Stafford, one of the pieces that they got in return was Jared Goff. And to give him a second season, I understand why. I don't agree with it, but at the same time, like he was a he was a key part of that trade and you have to see what you have with him now that there are more pieces around him. And 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 I think that's just kind of where I'm at and 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 I think that I mean to 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 Eric's point, right? Like if you can trade up move up to number one if there's a team that doesn't need a quarterback that's drafting at one or two if you can make that work okay go do it but at the same time it, it, it's a very difficult thing to do especially if that team needs a quarterback they're not going to trade out of that spot no matter what you offer them so I, I think I lean more towards hey you know if, if the Lions can get everything together and if it really seems like Jared Goff is the problem then do what the Broncos did trade trade a whole boatload of picks and and players and get your franchise quarterback on, like Eric mentioned, uh, you know, a quarterback that's maybe soured on their team. And it still seems like the, the overall opinion on, on that, you know, Denver and Seattle trade is that like Seattle lost the trade. Like they didn't get enough. Right. You know what I mean? So I I think I'm more in that camp of, I just think like a team like the Colts is a team who hasn't been aggressive enough. You know what I mean? It's like Carson Wentz seems like a Band-Aid. And Matt Ryan at the end of the, his career seems like, well, maybe, you know, if things bounce the right way, this guy's been to the Super Bowl before. But, like, I would I would rather the Lions be aggressive when the time is right. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think ultimately boils down to that. Like, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what 
what opportunities are going to be out there. It seems like there are an abundance of opportunities to find a quarterback most years. So I guess, I guess my overall point would just be like, let's not worry about that right now because we, we have what we have. And I'm not saying the front office shouldn't think about it, but we as fans kind of just enjoy the ride and see, see what happens. Cause I think, I think the opportunities are going to be there even if we don't see them right now. Is that fair? Awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's I like those answers. I know I'm looking too far ahead, but that's just kind of where my mind goes. I'm always thinking, you know, years ahead instead of kind of in the moment. Maybe that's not the best <laughs> mindset to have, but that's just kind of how I operate. I, I get what, but I mean, I get it as a fan, especially when this team has been so starved for a star quarterback for as long as they have, even even with Matthew. Right. Stafford, um you know, and that's kind of yeah. why I was like, I'm almost willing to kind of sacrifice one more year to get that guy. But as you guys right. mentioned, there are various other avenues to obtain that. So, yeah, cool, cool. Thank you. Well, pre- yeah, appreciate the call, Richard. Thanks for the the good question to kick us off here. Uh, let's move on to our next caller. Uh, Jamel is here. Oh, can you guys hear me? Yep. All right, cool. Um, so I I guess um. I consume a ton of Detroit Lions content, right, from following everybody on Twitter, YouTubers, podcasts, news articles, all of that. And while I've learned that, you know, not all football opinions are created equal, uh, there's one thing that I really see very consistent, um, like, throughout the whole Lions community, and that's, like, the opinions on, like, oh, the Lions should have done something more at backup quarterback. And I I just – I was wondering – if you guys felt like it was right or I was right to just not care, like I just do not care about the backup quarterback situation in the slightest. It's the only position on the entire team that you pray never plays a single down all season, except maybe the last game when you've got everything locked up. And, you know, a lot of people have been saying, well, if Jared Goff goes down, then that's it. And I'm just like, yeah, that's true. But that's also true for 31 other teams in the NFL and the better your quarterback is the more that's true I feel like because there's a wider gap so I don't know I I was just wondering how you guys feel like I just do not care at all could not care less about the backup quarterback situation this is a great question because I think I think Ryan and I are on the same page here that I I'm with you like I don't care that much I think people got way too in a tizzy that they brought back both David Blau and Tim Boyle I understand that that you want to see something different now because we saw both of them last year and it didn't look great, but I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, first of all, you shouldn't be spending a lot of money on, on, on your backup quarterback, which I think is why when they, uh, who's their, their backup last year, Daniel, or who's it? Chase, Chase Daniel. They gave him way too much money. And I think that is, is a legitimate reason to, to be upset if you're spending too much. But yeah, I think especially when you're at this point in the rebuild, right? Like, who cares if the if if there's a big drop off because the lines just they're not ready to compete anyways for for a championship so if they have to rely on a backup and, and lose a couple more games not that big of a deal but you're all I mean there aren't 32 caliber starting starting quarterbacks in this league so when you get into 33 versus you know 60 33 to 64 of course you're not going to have a starting caliber quarterback but um Ryan it, 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 was I fair to throw you in that category as well Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like I, I am firmly in camp. Who gives a you know what about the backup quarterback situation at this point? The rebuild. I, I think, like, look at the Ravens. I think I think the Ravens are a great example of that last year, right? Like, Lamar Jackson goes down, Tyler Huntley comes in, and the Ravens just can't win a football game, even though 
there were so many Lions fans that were clamoring like, oh, add, add Tyler Huntley. Like he, he would be a he'd be a great quarterback. What are we doing? Like we're, we're talking about a backup quarterback that didn't win a football game last year. And, and he was talked about as though he could come in and seamlessly just like smooth things over in Baltimore and, and maybe keep them afloat until, you know, Lamar Jackson got back and they could be a playoff team. Like when it comes to the backup quarterback position, I completely agree with what Jamel had to say about, you know, what, there, there's 31 other teams that pray, you know, the, the, the Buffalo Bills do not want to see their football team play without Josh Allen. You know, the, the, the Chiefs do not want to see their team out there without Patrick Mahomes. And and the Lions, in their situation right now, I think context is most important. When those re-signings happened, when they brought back Boyle, when they brought back Blau, it was firmly in the middle of the Lions not really doing a lot in the offseason, right? It, it, it's, it, it was another move where the Lions were bringing back four players from a team that won three games. And I think it was really easy fodder for a lot of people to point at and say, "Oh, I mean, it's, I mean, the Lions, you know, they're they're doing they're doing the thing that they do. They're they're bringing back more talent from a, a three win team, you know, can't can't avoid you know tripping over themselves." And and it was it was William Shakespeare, man. It was much ado about nothing. Like <laughs> it, it 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 was nothing. It's a nothing burger. Who cares? Eric, as, as someone who I know cares about roster player number one to player number 90. I have to imagine you have at least a, a slightly different take on this. The only thing I really care about is that um, the reserve quarterbacks are intelligent because that's what you need out of a backup quarterback is you need a, a quarterback that can break down film, a quarterback that can um, help out on the practice field, help out in, in, in the quarterback room and, that's the important part because like you said i have long said there are not 32 starting quarterbacks in the nfl right now and and so much less another 32 backups that are capable of starting so um i don't care how highly talented the backup quarterback is i am in the camp of uh not overspending on a backup because you know as all the things that you guys just pointed out uh but i do want a quarterback that has some intelligence understands the scheme that's why returning uh these two makes made a ton of sense to me you're not overspending you're keeping consistency in the lot in in that room and uh and blau he he's versatile in that he can he can he has the skill set to play uh on the practice field a lot of different styles and so um I'm completely fine with what they did. I think that's a good point real quick, Eric, is, is like Blau has, has made his way through, you know, two different regimes. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's all the way back to the Matt Patricia era. And, and I mean, I, I talked about like that that's so far in the rearview mirror, but I want it to be back there. But like, I think for a guy to stick around, to be a clipboard holder, to be a smart guy in that quarterback room, I think that speaks volumes to like who he is as a third string quarterback. Like, that that's the kind of guy you want in the room, right? Yeah. Remember the trick play that got the uh, Brock right. Wright's touchdown yep. in, against the Packers that came from Blau. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so he had an idea, coaches liked it, implemented it, put it in the game that, and that resulted in the touchdown. That is what you want in your QB three. There you go, Jamel. We, we, we found some people that, that don't, don't like, don't care. Like you just do not care about the quarterback battle as much as, you know, some of the national types seem to. 
thanks a lot, guys. And and just really quick, thank you guys so much for adding the push to listen option on your articles. I cannot tell you how convenient it is to just hit play and listen to like four articles in a row while I'm doing something else. I appreciate it. Thanks for everything you guys do. No problem, man. And and yeah, shout out to the SB Nation development team. We we didn't really have anything to do with that, but uh, I I have I've heard from a, a surprising a lot amount of people who use that feature. So. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to pass that along to them. Uh, let's move on to one more caller here before we head to our first break. Our good friend Mathis is here. Mathis, how you doing, man? Doing all right. How are you guys? Good, good. So um, one thing I wanted to ask about was, uh, so uh, Aiden Hudson. So he got in OTAs back-to-back-to-back sacks. Um, do you think could describe uh, talk a little bit more about um, his his play uh, in detail and like how was he getting those sacks? Because I think that's going to be really important for like how he how he plays um, when when the bullets are actually flying. Yeah, uh, I guess I have to carry this one since I was the only one there. But um, so just to put it into into some context, the Lions were running um, one minute drills. Forty, I think they had forty five seconds from their own forty yard line to get downfield. Um, this was actually the third team. So I think that's an important thing to point out, first of all, is Aiden Hutchinson isn't with the starters yet, and I think that's pretty standard for for rookies. Um, I don't recall if he was there for for the second team because the second team drill lasted one play when Tim Boyle threw a pick six. So then third team comes out there, and he's with the third team. And the other important point uh, of context here is that the Lions were in their, their NASCAR package. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically where they try to put as many pass rushers on the field as possible. Um, so in this instance, Aiden Hutchinson was out there. Um, I believe Josh Pascal was out there. Um, Jared Davis was coming off the edge. And the last one was James Houston. Um, Pascal and Aiden Hutchinson were actually on the inside. So, um, you know, I don't know how often we'll, we'll see that with Hutchinson. I think a lot of people have, have pointed out rightfully that we'll see that a lot with Pascal. Um, so third team, he's going up against some bad players. Um, I they, they could potentially be second team offensive line. I think they're mostly third team because there were some undrafted rookies in there. Um, but the way that, and, and I missed the first one, but I, I saw the other two, the way he won both times, was really just with that first step. It was the the explosion. It was just the the rep was over less than a second into the into the rep into the snap because he was already he already had leverage. He was already a step by the the uh, offensive lineman, and it was over. And so it these weren't just like Tim Boyle or David Blau standing back there for for seconds on end. It was over right away. He had just completely beating the guys off the off the line and and i mean that's that's kind of what we expect out of him right like that's he's got that kind of elite first step so that's the way he he beat it and i I can't really speak much to the rest of his day and you know there are a lot of caveats too here right like there's no pads on he's going up against third stringers um you know everyone is still getting to know each other but i i think that's that's how he probably wins especially inside too is that that quick first step? Is that is that a good is that a good scouting report of of, of Hutchinson, Eric? That that tr- track with with who he is as a player. 
Yeah, I mean, on the inside, remember he played three technique at Michigan um, as a freshman. And right. then, um, and Aaron Glenn pointed Aaron, that out too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and f- if I recall, I think uh, Burke had pointed out that he beat Obed, the UDFA out of Ferris State, twice, and then he beat Ryan McCollum, who was a UDFA uh, center last year. Right. Uh, if you recall, he started twice for the Lions because um, Evan Brown was unable to, and uh, the second start McCollum got pulled. Uh, and Jonah Jackson shifted inside the center uh, in week 18. So, um, yeah, the, the the level of talent wasn't quite there, uh, you know, compared to Hutchinson. But I mean, look, he should be doing that. That's right. I mean, that's that's what he should be doing against against those guys because this is a guy who is a starter. And anytime your starter is, is playing against you know your practice squad, he should be making these those plays. Now, making three in a row. I mean, I'm happy about that. Yeah, fair enough. All right, Mathis, appreciate the question, man. I'm I'm here to give any Hutchinson hype wherever I can. Thanks, guys. Can I can I just one more thing? Yeah. Um, so that the first caller um talking about uh, uh tr- about the quarterbacks, just an FYI, remember uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, they were both traded up from, yeah. traded up to. Um, from a, a playoff team. Both of those teams were playoff teams the year they traded up to go get uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Um, and and it didn't cost and it didn't seem to cost that much from the trades I saw. It took two. So if we ended up as a playoff team, we could still trade even even if the uh, Rams won the Super Bowl, we could still trade those two firsts for uh, for a high, for a higher first. In, in the top in the top sure, ten, sure. top twelve. So I think I think we'd be fine on that front. Yeah. The Chiefs gave up twenty seven, a third round pick, and a first round future selection to go up to ten. So that's and if you yeah, and, and as you excellently pointed out, Mathis, if they have two first rounders right now, it it won't take much to, to else to package to go up to get a guy. There right. you go. Good points. Good points all along. All right. Um, we are going to take our first break. When we come back, more of your Lions questions as we dive further into OTAs, further into the Lions offseason, and closer to the actual season. We'll be right back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on Spotify Live, answering your Lions questions live every Saturday morning here on the Spotify Live app. We're going to jump right back into the queue. We've got Daniel on the line. Daniel, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing good. Hey, before we went live at, <clears throat> at the intro, <clears throat> sorry, guys. Eric was saying he worries about going on too long. And Eric, don't worry because... 
you always have something to say, which uh, is not always the case on other Detroit Lions podcasts, <laughs> which will remain nameless. Um, I don't not a lot of not a lot of filler here. Hey, I wanted to thank you, uh, uh, Jeremy. I think you pointed me to that uh, Calvin Shepard interview. Yeah. With Tim Twentyman, which was really awesome. Um, you know, and I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't know, uh, much about him. And it, what seems to me really interesting here, you know, it's like every year when I'm kind of, uh, you know, engaging in, you know, how's the team going to do? And you have to engage in a certain amount of wishful thinking because there's gaps in the talent. You got to go, well, maybe this guy will step up or maybe they'll coach the, you know, maybe they'll coach these up. You know, you sort of, you know, I sort of have a list of, here are things that have to have to uh, uh, break our way. And I'm kind of fascinated by this linebacker situation because they, they really seem to have taken this approach of, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to overspend on a, uh, on a free agent, you know, Bob Quinn, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to depend on our, our coaching staff, uh, you know, to develop the talent. We're going to depend on the coaching staff to develop themselves. And uh, I, I find that linebacker situation so fascinating because there seem like there are so many guys that maybe could develop that way. Uh, and, I, and I'm wondering how you see that. Yeah, and, and I'm going to throw this right to Ryan because he's got an article posting on Pride of Detroit in about 23 minutes on this whole linebacker thing, because it, I mean, and yeah, and also, I also want to give a shout out to that Tim 20 men interview. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Go onto the Detroit Lions YouTube page and, and see uh, him talk with Kelvin Shepard, who I I've been maintaining for about 10 months now that he's going to be um, a, a riser in the coaching staff. But um, Ryan, yeah. What's your take on this whole linebacker situation where they seem to be re- I mean, every single defensive coach that we talked to Kelvin Shepard, Dan Campbell talked about the linebacking core. Um, Aaron Glenn hyped up the linebacking. They all seem pretty high on this linebacking core that we have all been like, what are they actually going to do here? How much are you buying into it? Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much I can buy into it. And I think it's because of uh, in our, in our post James Mitchell discussion that we had um, earlier this week um, with Andy Bitter from the athletic, uh, we were just kind of hanging around and chat. And I think you put it really well. In, in the sense that the Lions seem to think that because they don't have any starters right now, that the cream will rise to the top. And yep. that because that competition, and as Dan Campbell put, you know, I think it was, I mean, that, that was one of the big takeaways from Thursday, I think, right, was was the, the bloodbath quote, right? Like, yeah. with that competition, there will be, there, there will be a couple of players that will, that will rise to the top and then they will become starters. And I think that's to Daniel's point of, you know, things breaking the right way. And you really got to count on a lot of things to break the right way because I, I think, I think it's pretty well known right now, like kind of how down I am on Alex Anzalone. And, and I think that, I think really his position on this team is very intangible based. It's very leadership based. It's very, he fills that veteran role and he's reliable in the sense that maybe you can count on him for snaps. His production was just so, so uneven last year. He, he led the league and, and missed tackle percentage. And when that guy is kind of penciled in right now, and, and I say that, you know, loosely because of all the, 
you know, all the talk that's, that's come from OTAs and, and how this Lions coaching staff feels about the linebacker room, he's kind of the guy that's like penciled in as a starter. But I think, you know, Eric on last week's um, Q&A he even talked about, you know, do, do the Lions have starters right now? And, and uh, you know, he was spot on, you know. Right. This coaching staff said as much like, yeah, we're, we're going to see who <clears throat> we're going to see who takes those steps. We're going to see who plays into that starting position. And, and and you just look around that room right now. Which of these guys has NFL starting experience? <laughs> Jared Davis. Um, All right. Not, <laughs> wait, before, All right. I, before I throw it to Eric, because I think I think you bring up a lot of good points. One kind of under the radar interesting thing that I thought uh, Aaron Glenn said about this group is that Alex Anzalone's name came up and he said he thought Anzalone was coming off the best year of his career. Yikes. <laughs> Which I was like, interesting. I don't know if a lot of people will see it that way. Um, I, I think the other factor here and too is like the, the defensive scheme changes, right? Like the yeah. defense being a little more aggressive up front, um, right. all those things. And, and, and they think it might play into this defensive you know, this, this linebacker group. Um, but yeah, Eric, I'm, I'm curious how much you are, are really buying into the fact that, that all this competition is a good thing and it will produce good results. Well, I think competition is a good thing. I think expecting sure. it to result in, in positive play is wishful thinking, right? Yeah. Um, it makes sense that, the, someone will eleva- elevate their game and come into a starting role. But at the same time, it could just be where guys fall off and you're left with somebody and that's your starter. And, and that's my concern is, is right. that it, it, it's not that somebody elevates. It's just that everybody else falls off. It kind of like whenever I view um, like competitions at a position, I kind of view it like, like a track race, Right. And the, I, I, I think of like the, the training camp as like that, you know, distance that the, that the runners have to go. And oftentimes it looks like a runner is like speeding up to pull away from everybody else when that's not actually the case. It's actually the other runners getting tired and the one guy not right. And, and that's kind of how I view what's happening at, uh, at linebacker or what could happen at linebacker is that, whoever can maintain the, their consistency the most will probably be the guy who ends up being the starter. It won't uh, asking someone to elevate their game and, and rise to the top is a big ask. You know, look what we yeah. look at the rookies from last year. They didn't really start making hay until the back half of the season or the back quarter of the season. Right. And so looking like we all like Malcolm Rodriguez, but expecting him to, you know, be able to elevate his game to where he's starting, uh, I think is wishful thinking that he's going to be a week one starter. And if he is, it's probably more about him being better than they expected, but also the other guys not playing up to their expectations. So, um, look, you can't you can't build Rome in a day, right? And, and you can't fix an entire roster in two years. It's just it's not how it works. And there are there are obvious positions that have not been addressed. Uh, we're starting to get safety uh, more that you know, especially with these hybrid, you know, Melifano and Harris being hybrid guys now. Uh, we're starting to see them, you know, shore up other positions. But linebacker seems to be 
the one position that they, has kind of been the last in the line, right? Yeah. And, and so I, I do think they're going to make an investment down the road. I also think that they're probably just trying to make the best of a situation in what they have. But my it's it's the position group that I have the, the most concerns with. Right. And, and and I think the the main reason for that is simply most of these guys just haven't done it, right? They haven't produced on a level that anyone would deem acceptable for. So it takes a fair amount of well, faith and belief yeah. in and hope from a group that just hasn't produced to suddenly do it. And listen, like I, I think there are some reasons to be hopeful. I, I think I think the defensive scheme change does benefit them. I think this is a good enough coaching staff where they can get production higher than the, the, the talent level. Um, but before, before we move on from the linebacker position, because I do think it's, it's one that, that I took kind of the biggest notes from, at least from all the quotes that we got this week. If we were going to put blind faith a little bit into this group, who would you guys think is that guy that might break out and have either win a starting job or, or, or win a good, you know, rotational role and, and, and stand out? Is, is it Malcolm Rodriguez, the guy that, you know, we, we all heard Kelvin Shepard call him the smartest young player he's ever been around. Could we see, and I've, I'm, I'm saying this kind of tongue in cheek, but maybe not. Like, could we see a Charles Harris like explosion out of Jared Davis? Could it be, you know, Sean Dion Hamilton, a, a guy, a lot of people were high on during training camp last off season. Is there a guy that, that, you know, you think might actually kind of be worth this, this, I don't know, this bloodbath treatment that, that he might, come out on top for me i i think when we look at the guys who have the experience um anzalone is expected to be a starter but you have to remember in new orleans he was replaced the yep. the the year before he left jared davis has starting experience but he was also replaced in 2020 and then last season he was injured so right. the the experience that they have are guys that have either declined or leveled off. And so if you're looking for someone to elevate, you're going to be looking at guys who are now getting an opportunity that maybe wasn't there before. And the guy that jumps out to me is Chris Board. Uh, Board is a guy who was a contributor pretty consistently in, uh, in Baltimore, but he never really had the opportunity to start. And they thought he was going to get a chance if he stayed in Baltimore this season to contribute. And he reminds me, his career arc reminds me very much of like a Jalen Reeves Maven, where he's yep. a special teams dynamo who really just hasn't had the chance. And, and if he gets the chance, will he seize that role? So he's, that's where I'm kind of keeping my eye on. Um, Sean Hamilton was a guy, you know, who we both talked about last year was in a great spot before he got injured. Of course, we uh, everyone would want to see Malcolm Rodriguez take those next steps because I think the the ceiling is high for him. It's just of how quickly can he get there. And and the same thing is true with Derek Barnes. You want the the homegrown players to to find success. So I think if you're looking for you know, and a player who might ascend, those are the types of guys that you're looking at. Not for me, I'm not counting on like a Jared Davis or, or an Anzalone to, to do anything more than what we've seen. Ryan, you buying into, you buying stock in any of these guys? Yeah. I mean, Eric, Eric took the, the Chris board um, hype right out of my mouth because I, I think I, I look at him and, you know, to Eric's point about him <clears throat> almost kind of being this, uh, you know, Jalen Reeves Maven type 
uh, riser, I, I, I think that there's something to that. And th- the thing that I'm most intrigued, though, is by the scheme change, right? Because, you know, looking at some of those numbers in which the Lions were gashed on the ground last year, it was up the middle, right, Jeremy? Like, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, I mean, across the board, the Lions struggled just <laughs> right. stopping the run, right? But, like, I mean, there were 111 attempts up the middle for 4.8 yards per carry. Now, I mean, switching from a, a, you know, more switching from more three, four to four, three looks, it'd be interesting to dig deeper into that data because I think as, as both you and Eric have both have mentioned, you know, the, the coaching staff talked about how, you know, the, you know, we, we went to more four down, you know, looks later in the season. Right. And um, it, I just think that somebody like Malcolm Rodriguez, who seems like he could be somebody who plays that Mike position, I mean, the Lions got a sure tackler in that guy, right? Like, I mean, they got somebody that seems like the antithesis of of Alex Anzalone, of somebody who's, you know, playing with their hair on fire. Uh, you, you have Rodriguez who understands, you know, I'm undersized, but I understand things like leverage and, you know, how to how to find space and how to, you know, sure up tackles because of his wrestling background. And uh, I, I just had to fit that in there because Thank every time we talk about Malcolm Rodriguez, we have to talk about that. But <laughs> I, 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 th- I think that there's something to that, that they got a guy who is a sure tackler who can maybe shore up things in the middle where the Lions really had a lot of problems last year. You, you want to figure that the guys like they got in Hutchinson and Pascal will help on the on the outside. But I mean, up the middle is, is where the Lions really, really got hurt last year. So fair points. I appreciate the question, Daniel. All right. So what I'm hearing is put down the blue Kool-Aid. <laughs> a little step bit. away from the counter. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, appreciate it, Daniel. Uh, let's move on to our next caller. We have got uh, Harrington HOF from the Pride of Detroit boards. Harrington, how you doing, buddy? What's up, guys? Good to see you. Or hear good, from you, I should say. <laughs> yeah, good to hear from you as well. Um, my Well, Daniel just stole my question. He just made it sound more eloquent. I was going to say, why do our linebackers suck? But, uh, <laughs> s- well, since he, is, uh, he took my question, so I'll have to um, force to be more eloquent. Um, when you look at Jared Goff, he was taken number one overall. You don't, you're not taking that level unless you have some – you have to be talented, at least to some degree, to be taken. And he's had some great years. Like We always talk about 2018, made the Super Bowl, did this and that. When you look at the parallels of that 2018 team, not just on the offense, but even on the defense or the team as a whole, what do you what do you guys see in comparison to the team now? Is it as close as possible? Is it is like you know just the, the personnel, the offensive line? The, what do you look at from that team and this team? And do, what do you th- what are your thoughts about that for golf? Yeah, I mean, golf is is, is a hot topic, and it, it's hard it's hard to know how to bring him back to that level, right? To to the 2017, 2018 level, back-to-back Pro Bowl, Super Bowl caliber quarterback, um, you know, even in the MVP conversation for a while there. Um, Personnel-wise, I I don't think they're that far off on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, defensive is is a different thing. But I think, I don't know, to me, the question whether – they are going to get that kind of Jared Goff or not really relies heavily around coaching. And with us not really knowing where this offense is currently headed uh, with the, with a brand new offensive coordinator who apparently isn't carrying a lot over from last year. 
I'm I'm really curious. I, I think I think we're scheduled to meet with uh why am I blanking on the offensive coordinator's name right now? Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson, thank you. Uh I think we're scheduled to speak to him next week. And I'm I'm curious to hear from him what sort of stuff we can expect. It's different. Like we we've already heard that it's maybe a more up tempo offense, which I guess would, would track a little bit more with, with um you know what they what they do in Los Angeles. But I don't know. I, I you, you have to get a more aggressive Jared Goff and we haven't seen that in three years. So how do you get that out of him? Is it just a matter of making making better receivers around him? Is it developing a scheme where he's more comfortable throwing it downfield? Is it just a matter of him getting his confidence back? Because I think that, to me, is really the key to getting back the 2017-2018 Jared Goff. It's just he has to throw it downfield, and and he hasn't done in the past three years. He, he has those guys now, right? Or at least you hope so. Like Jameson so. Williams, yeah. right? Yeah. DJ Shark. Like, I, I think Mathis brought up a really good point. I think it was last week when, when he brought up the uh, the Brandon Cooks comparison, right? Like getting a guy who can stretch the field vertically opened up a lot of things for that Rams offense. And it, it's, it's going to be interesting how all of those other guys benefit. Like, I mean, obviously the Lions don't have a nightcrawler on their team, right? They don't have Todd Gurley. Um, but can they can they get at least some of that efficiency and some of that productivity by piecing some guys together and, and just having a a reliable dependent ground game that isn't, you know, throwing the ball three yards behind the line of scrimmage and having the running back do all the work. So I, I, I like to, I, I like, I, I would like to say that things are heading in the right direction because they're finally starting to get some personnel like in shark in Jameson Williams that can stretch the field on the boundaries and open up a lot of stuff in the middle. I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Eric? Yeah, I think it comes down to comfort. Right. For for me, um, he was noticeably uncomfortable when he first uh, joined Detroit last spring. And then you could see it in uh, in training camp, at least in the early stages of training camp. He just never looked really settled in. And some of that could have been just trying to adapt to things. But um, he you could tell that he got more comfortable in his role. He got more comfortable with the scheme, more comfortable in his team. But uh, as the season went on and, and you would think that, you know, another six months later here, uh, that comfort level should continue to increase. And, you know, Ben Johnson's a smart enough guy that, you know, he was, he was, you know, uh, dialing up plays last year that were best suited to accentuate Jared Goff's strengths. And so you would hope that that would carry over uh, into his new, you know, playbook as well. So, you know, I'm hoping to see that, that, that Ben Johnson has a positive effect uh, on, on all the players, but I, I do think that he understands what Goff is looking for. Uh, I think the the relationship between the two is something that's, you know, long been established as well. And, and so, the more comfortable that he gets, I think the more relaxed play, the more success that, that he'll have a chance to have. <laughs> I mean, the Lions did just about everything they could to make him comfortable there in terms of his personnel though, right? Like the offensive line is, is about as good as you can get it. The wide receiving core is much improved. They, they, they bring back um, even, even the reserve offensive linemen who, who I think showed themselves last year. So, if, if it doesn't happen this year, I, I don't know when it will, right? I think that's essentially where we're at with Jared Goff. 
Yeah, just just real quick. Technically, Ryan, we could have Todd Gurley. I think he's still available, isn't he? <laughs> oh, so, boy. But, but, I but, also, I, but also, just real quick, I thought we had a pretty decent offensive line. I, excuse me, uh, running backs last year, both Scarborough. Um, I thought no, – was he still on the team? Not last year. Yo, no, no. Oh, what's his name? Jamal Williams, right? That's right. his name? Yep. Yeah, we had we had a pretty decent running game last year without any big names, so I'm kind of hoping we need we carry that over from uh, – from this year, but I do. I would like us first to get a, a nicer running back at some point. But running backs nowadays, you can get them dime a plenty. They're 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 always available now. So I think I think we pretty much have the team. If Jared Goff doesn't step up, he's gone. That's kind of why I see it. Uh, endearing yourself to Jeremy by talking about <laughs> <Right>? how, <laughs> hey, how and, disposable and, and usable running backs are. Speaking of Bo <laughs> Scarborough, USFL Player of the Week. Bring him back if you need if if you're in a pinch. Alrighty, okay, cool. <laughs> just just real quick, I want to shout out Billy Sims. Made me do it because I know he's listening. So Billy Sims, let me do it. Shout you out. Shout out <laughs> to all the the Pride of Detroit commenters, especially the the guys who've been around for you know back since the Sean days. Appreciate all of you guys hanging around. For sure. Uh, all right, let's move on to our last caller for this segment. Our good friend Dan Pask. Dan, how you doing, man? I'm good. Can you hear me? Okay. You're good. Okay, well, thanks very much. Uh, I know I, I come on a lot. So uh, I, I, my friend, my best friend, uh, Matt, told me I should write down my questions. I, I didn't, so I'm, I apologize. I'm going to uh, try the defensive line again. But actually, in all honesty, between Eric stealing Ryan's answers and then Ryan stealing my question this time around, um, I'm going to go with the defensive line again because I wanted to talk about, like, like sort of the elephant in the room last year was that Trey Flowers' contract was so expensive this year that literally he would have to sack everybody every game all the time and never be injured, and then he'd be worth 21 million or whatever it was. You know what I mean? And I, I feel that's what Brockers is next year. I, I'm not sure if Hal uh, Vitae is the same way. I think his his uh, contract seems a little better. I guess I'm I'm in trench talk here because I'm just curious on a sort of um like. Long-term front, because obviously if Levi has any more issues, I don't know if, if Brad is going to be able to let a, a, a bad decision of that kind of importance go. It's going to be a test for him to see if he can do that as well. But, you know, like I could easily see us using a first-round pick next year on a on another defensive lineman uh, just to keep it going. Because I saw on the Twitter, um, on the Twitter, sorry, um, this, this chart that had the Lions OL being the third, in the top five and, and bastards Packers first. Sorry for the swearing. Um, but you know what I mean? So it, 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 I'm just curious because whether, you know, Night, Night Stalker and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we do have a good running back room and with, with our stretchy offense. Here I am. I'm, like, I'm talking about offense. Defensive line. I just want you, I want to ask, what is, why did we make that positional change from three to four at the end of last season? How is it different between being reactive and defensive? Because we always talked about how they were sort of making the scheme to the players. But the thing is, is they picked their players this draft. So they've picked with a purpose, whereas at the end of last season, they were making do with what they had. So does that make any sense? Or um, do you want to go to the next question? No, no. I think I think that does kind of bring up a good point because, yeah, when I think I don't remember if it was Dan Campbell or if it was Aaron Glenn, but they were asked, like, what? what drew you to, to kind of make this change and, you know, were there specific players in mind you had when you made this change from three, four to four, three. And yeah, like two of the people they mentioned were Levi and Aleem McNeil guys that they drafted, they specifically picked. And so you're, I think there is kind of a, a voice in the back of your head being like, well, then why did you draft those guys if they didn't fit what you were going into going and, and, and Aaron Glenn to, to his credit or detriment, 
he's a he's a four three guy, or I'm sorry, he's a three four guy, and so him moving now to a four three is is out of his comfort zone, which can either worry you or you could be you kind of give him a pat on the back, being like, hey, you're you're actually you know walking the walk here, where we we have heard previous regimes say, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna create our scheme around our players. They're actually doing it here, um, but you kind of have to wonder, like, well, if that's the, I, I guess maybe the answer to that is like they just wanted talented players. They thought Ali McNeil was talented. They thought Levi Onderike was talented, and so let's get them in the building and figure it out once they get there. So a couple things, because um, Dan had a couple of great points that I I, I want to hit on, but um, before I get to Dan, I want to go back to like what you just said, like. Um, Aaron Glenn is heavily versed in three, four, but he's played in four, three schemes before as well. So, it, and it's not unfamiliar with him, even the saints ran a four, three scheme. Uh, so I, I think that's part of the beauty of Aaron Glenn is that he is just so adaptable and that's what is going to make him a head coach in the future. Like he's, he, he's so uh, intelligent in how he understands, but to get back to the larger point here, I think they, started last year with a uh, two-gapping scheme because that's what the personnel was on the roster. Remember, they were going from a two-gapping scheme under the Patricia Quinn era, and they couldn't lose everybody. And so I think they kept that two-gapping scheme in place initially, but they drafted with the long-term approach of saying, we want to be a more aggressive one-gapping team. So they they drafted Levi with the idea of using the scheme that they want now, but they had, they adapted or they drafted Aleem because he's a you know we've talked about him being the pivot um, a couple of times where he can play in, in both schemes uh, pretty easily. Now they had a uh, guys like Nick Williams who needed to be in that you know two gapping scheme. He's not as He's not as efficient in, in, in the one gapping. And so I think they almost use that old, that, that scheme because that is what fit the leftover players that they had. Now they're getting more into the, the, the original design that I think they wanted to do. And, and as the rookies came on last year, that's when we started to see them start shifting more to the four man fronts, honestly, losing Trey flowers. It probably is when that shift started because Trey Flowers, you were paying him so much money, and he was uh, he was playing such an important role on defense. Yet he's only ever played in two gapping systems his whole life. And if they would have changed it on him, you may have been, you know, cutting off your best defensive player's best skill set without even before the first snap even happened. So I I really think that they 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 were adapting that scheme to. Uh, to, to the players that they had last year. Um, now, Dan also mentioned in, uh, that, uh, you know, how long are you going to hold on to these guys, uh, you know, with, with their contracts? Like he brought up Brockers. Like Brockers' contract jumps up to almost $12 million next year. And, and so even if Levi is not playing at a level that he needs to, I still think Brockers is going to be vulnerable, be, vulnerable because that number – uh, is so big. And if he has the type of season he had last year, he's not going to be able to justify that. And they'll have to find another way to uh, address the line. Will it be in the first round? I don't know if they necessarily need to do that, but I do think 
uh, I do agree with Dan in the fact that they're going to have to add more depth uh, to the line at some point. We we talked about them doing it this year, right? Like we all talked Absolutely. it was an underrated need because I think because exact. I mean, he Brockers is costing nine million this year, so it's not like he's to twelve million is a huge jump, but it's a big jump, and and only two million of that is guaranteed. So you, you come back with with ten million in savings if if you let them go. Um, anything anything to add on the group, Ryan? No, I just want to hear Dan talk some more. <laughs> well, let me let me throw one last thing in there because I think. I think Dan had asked it, and I think a lot of people um, may not quite understand the the shift, at least in philosophy. Everyone obviously knows three four to four three, but this whole like attacking style. Um, I just wanted to pull the quote from Dan Campbell because I thought he described it in a very um, easy to understand way, and and it kind of. I, 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 let me let me just read the quote because I think it was it was very well said. Um, so he says of the new system, quote. I just call it more hitting the blocks. I don't want to say we were catching and it wasn't two gap. We were a little more play at the line of scrimmage where now we really want to play more on their line, their side of the line of scrimmage. That's the best way to describe it. Look, we have all the front variations, all those things, but I think that will probably be the biggest difference that anybody would notice. It's just the fact that we want to, we're not running through the gaps and closing our eyes and stuff like that. We're not like that, but we are more hit the blocks, play on their side of the side of the line of scrimmage, which is a little bit different than what we were last year. And then he specifically points to Aleem and Levi as the guys who are going to benefit from that. This scheme prioritizes two things, first step quickness and power. And if you look at who they drafted, they drafted guys that have first step quickness and power. And that's what, that's really where Levi excels as well. And, and that's where Aleem excels. So, you're, you're, I mean, look, even Charles Harris, I mean, he, he doesn't quite have the power, but he has that first step quickness. And, and so what you're hoping to do up front is to just create more, uh, you're, you're trying to get those blockers off their spots a little bit and you're doing it now on your terms instead of like, uh, instead of reacting, like, which is, a, you know, it's, you're, you're more pressing the action. It's really good. It's a really good strategy uh, for people who like aggressive football. The downside is if you aren't getting home, if you aren't getting the pressure, then you put a lot of pressure on your back end. And if your back end isn't up to snuff, then you can get gashed. And I am of the mindset that I love the aggression. So I'm willing to give up a big play uh, if I'm getting like more production on a consistent basis up front. The problem is, is that most coaches aren't that risk averse. You know what I mean? Right. And so, um, but again, this is a situation where I think they can be, they can uh, take more risks. Well, uh, and, and I think the thing that I'm hearing, right, is we just, you know, spent so much time talking about uh, the linebackers, you know, off Daniel's question. Like what I'm hearing right now is it is very, very important that Levi takes that second year step and that Michael Brockers has to improve his play. Like these are two of the most important spots in this kind of new, you know, front that the lines are that are transitioning to. So I I think it can't be understated, like how important those two guys are to, you know, kind of cleaning up a lot of the problems from from a year ago. I I, want to throw one more question into this discussion here. Um, 
because we, we talk about them building uh, a, a unit, a, a defense around the talent, but they're obviously, if they're, if they're going to make one philosophical change, it's going to benefit some people and, and hopefully most people, but it's obviously going to be the detriment to some people. So I want to, I want to see if you guys have anyone in, I, I think I'm just going to take John Penasini off the board because I think he's a given that this is probably not a great philosophical change for him. Um, is is there anyone else on that defensive front, or if you want to throw the linebackers into that, you think maybe will not benefit from this change? Austin I, I Bryant. Wanna, I, oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I, go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. I was just to say Austin Bryant because Austin Bryant excels more when you can play him away from the tackle and allow his first step to get there. He but he gets caught up. He doesn't use his length as as well as he could, and so he when he gets engaged, he doesn't have the power to get off of those blocks. And so uh, that's something, something where I think Austin Bryant could struggle and he could uh, be vulnerable. Is there any concern about Aline McNeil? I, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, obviously it, it, the way they used him last year is going to change, right? right? They're, they're not going to use him as that nose tackle guy as much. They're going to use him at the three tech more. And he's, right. He's a lot quicker. And I think, Lions coaches have said that several times, like he's even quicker than I thought. And so that aspect of his game is, I think they're, they're going to try to lean into more. It's, it's not something we got to see a whole lot last year because I think they were more like hold the line rather than push the line. Um, so I, I think he has a really good chance to do it. He just has to show it. Right. What, when we talk about how good Aleem was in training camp last year, most of that came from his one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. Now you're putting him in a situation where he's going to be one-on-one and you're allowing him to be the aggressor. Yeah, that's a good point, Eric. That, that, yeah, that fits right into what Aleem – I'm actually – like we were so excited when they drafted Aleem uh, a year ago. And, and and when they drafted Aleem and Levi, we, we all thought they were going to – this was the style of defense that they were going to run, this attacking front. I think both those guys are going to fit this style really well. Um, I do have depth concerns. Like you said, take yeah. Panasini off the board. Maybe Jayshon Cornell can step up, or at least it seems like that's what they're hoping. You know, they, they, they lean on him quite a bit. Um, but he played got, well on Thursday. He's got injury issues though, that we have True. to be concerned about there. Um, so you need Brockers to take a step. You need DT4 to step up, whether that's Cornell or Panasini. Maybe Bruce Hector can come in. Maybe Demetrius Taylor. Like, there's it, it 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 is the depth is what's concerning to me here. I but I do think the scheme plays better to these guys. Um, but yeah, depth is is a, it, it could Shake. be an issue. But but it, it's going to take time, right? And 100%. and I hate to I hate to frame I hate to frame it this way, but like that's a lot of the that's a lot of the personnel rot that like Brad Holmes is in charge <laughs> of uh, of of you know overturning from the Patricia and Quinn era, right? Yeah. Like. As, as you said, Eric, you can't build Rome in a day. And when it comes to a lot of that depth, like we, we've been talking about, hey, it's, it's nice that we're seeing, you know, players that are being cut from the Lions roster being added to other rosters. But like now it's about in-house. Do you have that serviceable depth that plays to your benefit? And that's going to take time. All right. That was a big I, that, <laughs> I hope that was the big discussion you were hoping on the defensive line that, that you were seeking there, Dan. I, I am full. I'm replete. I can I can rest now. Um, thank you guys so much for everything you do. And uh, Eric, to your wife and obviously to you, Ryan. Thank you for what what you guys do, too. Appreciate that, Dan. Well, thank you, Dan.
Um, all right, let's uh, let's take a break. When we come back, more of your Lions questions as we close out week one of OTA's Lions Q&A here on Spotify Live. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back here on Spotify Live, Pride of Detroit podcast, answering your Lions questions here every Saturday morning. Uh, let's just jump right back into it. We've got a chalk-filled show here, so let's get Jamie in here. Jamie, how you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear, man. Oh, magic. Um, all right, well, firstly, thank you very much for all the content you provide. I very much enjoy it. Um, my question is really a kind of extension of how the conversation in general has been going as far as it's largely about kind of playing style and schematics and to, or to use Jeremy's term, sort of philosophy. And obviously we're into the kind of second year of uh, the kind of regime. And I was wondering if you had a feeling that the kind of style is coming into focus somewhat in terms of on both defence and offence. And you've spoken quite a lot about defence moving towards a more aggressive kind of mode. Uh, there's a sense that the kind of player acquisition on the offense has become more kind of explosive and more kind of fizzy. And I was wondering if, if if you have a sense of actually the identity of what this team is actually aspiring towards, so that if things did go to plan and well this season, what type of offense and defense we'd be looking at? And maybe there's a comparison out there of we will look a bit like this team that actually is currently very good. Ooh, that's a good idea. So what team would this team look like they're kind of modeling themselves after? It's a good question. I, I the When you ask, like, what is the identity of this team? I think speed is kind of the first thing that jumped out to me. And you could really tell from the just the athletic numbers of, the, of this year's draft class. But they're trying to kind of, you know, look at the linebacker room. They're trying to get smaller and faster. Look at the defensive front. They're trying to guy, get guys with quick first steps. 
some of the guys they added, you know, in terms of offensive weapons, you got some really speedsters in, in Jameson Williams and DJ Chark. So I think speed, I think, is the one thing that points out to me. I don't know if I have a team yet that I'm ready to compare them to, but I guess where do you guys view this team's kind of overall identity coming into focus here? We'll go with Ryan first. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a really good question that I, I don't know if I if I have an answer for because, I mean, early on, right, we, we talked about how much they might replicate the New Orleans Saints on defense, right, or maybe right. even the Rams. And, and just from Brad Holmes, um, you know, from Brad Holmes' time with, with, uh, with the Rams and then Aaron Glenn, uh, and, and Dan Campbell coming over from the Saints. And it, it just seemed kind of like piecemealed together that like, okay, like they're going to replicate this stuff on, on defense from the Saints and the Rams or, you know, but the offense was always kind of like the big question mark, right? Sure. And I think their mentality breeds from the trenches to, to borrow what, what Dan um, was, was going about in the last segment with his question. Like, I, I think it all starts up front with the Lions on offense. And I'm trying to think about like a team that is run heavy, that wants to establish that. And um, man, go ahead and drink. But Four yeah, go ahead. Maybe, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit of 49, maybe a little bit. I mean, they, I, I think that the thing that's preventing me from wanting to say the 49ers is, is how they're going to look now with Trey Lance, right? Like I, I think, I think that running quarterback component, with with Trey Lance and then I even think about the Baltimore Ravens right like being one of those like power run teams that that tries to get vertical at times and and exploit the the middle of the field with a lot of play action concepts like that's what that kind of screams to me like that's the identity that that they want to achieve but it's about how effective Jared Goff is going to be right so um this is a great question I really want to think about a lot more Jamie um, but, but maybe, maybe I've stalled long enough to, to let Eric have a, have a great answer. Well, it's just as if I can, if I, can I, I would have said before the off season that it would have been the 49ers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that, but, but I, I was surprised at how, you know, and even to the extent that they tried to trade for Samuel, um, but, right. you know, <laughs> right. you know, Jameson Williams doesn't really fit into that, or at least I don't think he does into that but, sort of, you know, but, but it, maybe it, Amon Ross St. Brown does. Yes. Yeah, so I suppose yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I think last year it was certainly the 49ers in a lot of ways um, because they had that, they were, they were featuring the tight end last year. You wanted to run right. for his team. Like it, it sure seemed like it had a lot of, uh, of tendencies like that. Um, I do agree with everything that you guys have said. It, it's, it's a team that is, wants to establish the run with power up front, which matches, I think, what you are, what you would expect from a Dan Campbell run team. But at the same time, um, Brad Holmes has added speed in just bunches. Right. And so you, you're getting this whole different element to the game. Um, I don't know if I want to compare it to like the Raiders uh, but it kind of has that feel where you've got these, like you've got a quarterback who can be accurate. You've got receivers who can really run. Uh, and then you've got a couple backs that, you know, you can put in the system. One's clearly better than the other, but um, you know, they're a lot faster team, I think, than they get credit for. 
The other team that kind of jumped in my head was the Vikings, which is, and again, I'm not super thrilled with that. Rubbing my but, hands together over uh, here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I don't think they have the, uh, I think the Vikings have a, a, a better running game. Sure. Um, but I think that's what they would like to be, right? Yeah. Um, I think they would like to be able to have that two-headed power monster that, that the Vikings can put out there, but then also have those speed receivers that a, a quarterback can get the ball to. So, I mean, the Vikings makes a lot of that, that, that kind of jumps out to me as well. Um, on defense, I think they're moving more towards the Saints. Uh, I think that's more natural for uh, Aaron Glenn. And, you know, they, they've kind of shifted away from, from those L.A. concepts. Uh, it's, they're still going to have sprinkles of them, but it's sure looking closer to a Saints offense. Like, again, we talked about, uh, you know, like Romeo kind of playing maybe that Cam Jordan role. Where uh, and so that allows you to really have that uh, speed rusher on on the opposite side, which is like your your Davenport, right? So, um, it, it that's the feel I'm getting on defense. I I really like the Vikings comparison. I like Eric, the Vikings it, too. Oh, comparison. Never mind. No, <laughs> stop. <laughs> um, I, honestly, I, I meant to say Raiders. I just wanted to try to get you to jump into Jeremy, but I, I like the I like the Raiders comparison a lot because they go out and they get Devonte Adams, right? They get a guy who can play outside the numbers and really do damage out there. And I think Derek Carr is a it, it is I, I think that's an, an an apt comparison to not not Jared Goff, but in in the sense that like he's not a guy who like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert, a guy who can um, ad lib, right? Who who can make plays out of nothing? It seems like Derek Carr benefits from a lot of structure, and they have a reliable slot receiver in Hunter Renfro, and they they have a tight end in Darren Waller. And it, you you look at the Lions, and it's okay, like they're counting on DJ Shark to to be that guy on the outside, or Jameson Williams, and they have a reliable slot receiver um, that we're hoping in in Amon Ross St. Brown, and you know T.J. Hawkinson at tight end. So. Um, it's interesting though because I, I I see the Raiders as a team who they they don't quite have have it figured out at running back, and I'm not sure if the Lions have it quite figured out at running back either. Yeah, I think that's kind of one of the lingering questions that it, I think has come up a couple times here is like what exactly is the long term plan at running back? And the Lions are going to have some some big decisions really next year. I know Swift has a, a, a couple years left on his deal. I think 2023 is the last year on his rookie deal, but um, you know. Williams is, is done after this year unless they, they re-sign him. And so what the future is there, we'll, we'll kind of wait and see. Um, but, yeah, I hope that answers your, your question, Jamie. Yeah, thank you very much. Enjoy your tennis, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Uh, speaking of Jeremy's, all right, let's move to Carrie. How are you guys doing? Good, Carrie. How are you? I can't, can't complain. So I want to go back to the quarterback thing. I know we talked a lot about Jared Goff and I'm just over here laughing. Like, man, if, if this guy takes us, like wins two games in the playoffs, then we're really going to be, uh, in a, in a, in a weird situation as far as our quarterback future. But I was really curious, curious. I have two questions. One is around quarterback and another is around, um, oh, Jeff Okuda. Um, but you see a lot of, um, organizations they're saying hey they really built their team they're like hey we're just a quarterback away and so they bring in so you saw Denver do it a couple years ago with Peyton Manning and they came and won the championship they did it again with you know Wilson the Colts tried to do it with Wins, but it just didn't work out curious to see how Ryan's going to work out in that space um and then you you know you see it saw with Tampa right you bring in Brady and then they won so 
do you think that Brad Holmes is kind of keeping that flexibility? Say, hey, look, if we can really change the culture and really get a better reputation throughout the um, throughout the league and have just be a really a quarterback away from competing for a Super Bowl. I know that's weird saying that and on a Lions <laughs> podcast. Right. But, but it gives us the flexibility because if you draft a quarterback um, in the first two rounds, tenure and your successfulness as a, as a, as a general manager. Um, so I uh, just, as, as do you think that's what they're trying to do is to say, Hey, let's stay, let's stay flexible. And if we can get, you know, I don't know who that may, it may be Murray or somebody. Cause you know, I, we've seen a lot of franchise quarterbacks jump from organization to organization over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're definitely onto something there because the, the one thing you want to not do when it comes to getting your franchise quarterback is forcing it. You don't want to say, Oh, well we have to get one this year. So let's just draft one and see if he works out. And and the Lions stayed patient this year, uh, and I know not everyone on this podcast agrees with that decision, but I, I can respect it, right, where they're just not, like, saying, hey, we have to do it this year. Let's let's build around. And then like like you said, we, we said it earlier in the podcast, too, like those opportunities to get a franchise quarterback are going to be there. It, it They might not be able to trade up into one and two next year. Um, they, they Maybe a quarterback doesn't waive their no-trade clause for Detroit because of the history of this franchise. But an opportunity is definitely going to be there. And whether it's Kyler Murray or, you know, Lamar Jackson is a guy who hasn't signed a new deal yet. Maybe, maybe it's that, maybe it's something else. Um, these sort of things just kind of pop out out of nowhere too, right? Like one day you think a quarterback ha- is happy. The next day they've deleted everything on their Instagram. <laughs> it just, it just happens. <laughs> yeah. I, he, here's the one thing I want to say, and I want to kick it to Eric so he can have a, a, a smarter answer than me for sure. Um, but the one thing that I want to point out is Brad Holmes and where he comes from, right? And he comes from Los Angeles. He comes from the Rams, a place where less need is all about, excuse my language, but fuck them picks, right? And I, I think that mentality of, hey, the Lions have a couple of first-round picks next year. I think that what is something that we can't ignore or that we can't downplay is Brad Holmes' ability to recognize that those picks – are just as valuable to acquire talent that isn't necessarily a rookie. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm growing warmer or, or I'm, 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 you know, I'm getting more into the idea of if Brad Holmes can find a quarterback who is interested in changing locales, that he would, he would jump on that opportunity because he has the picks to do it. And he doesn't have to view this as, well, we need to get a rookie. Or, or, we, or we need to get somebody to, to build with. Like, if this roster is in the right spot, I, I'm inclined to believe that Brad Holmes will, will use those picks to their, to their best, um, I guess, to their best end games is, is what I'm trying to say. Oh. Anything to add, Eric? Not a ton. Um, <laughs> honestly, I, don't be- like, I don't believe you. No. <laughs> no, I, I, I think th- this is th- that Brad Holmes is – is basically going to do what you guys said, where he's just going to kind of let the chips fall as they fall. And he's not going to feel pressed. And look, he didn't feel pressed to, to, to look at quarterbacks this year. He, he looked at what was there. He, he looked at where they fit. He looked at what the team needed and he, and he made the assessment that he was going to stick with the current situation that he had. And, you know, next year, 
look, Kerry, if Jared Goff wins two playoff games, he's the starting quarterback from now on. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be, right? There's a statue in front of Ford Field. <laughs> right. Um, but, like, if if uh, if Goff isn't the answer long term, there's there's always going to be options. Like, people will pop up, like, like, like Jeremy just said. Either a, a quarterback's going to be unhappy or – there's going to be some guy that we haven't looked at hard enough in, in the college ranks that all of a sudden is like, oh, well, we didn't expect this out of him. And that seems to happen every year, right? And so um, while I guarantee Brad Holmes has a big picture game plan, I also think that he's shown that he's flexible enough to uh, try and maximize what he can do each offseason on his way to building this into a, um, a consistently, a consistent team that can win. Like he's, I can't see Holmes, especially right now at this stage of, of the contract to be, uh, at a point where he thinks he needs to go all in to, to, to take the next step. If he can establish, you know, this, this new culture that they want, if, if they can really hammer that home, if they can get the pieces uh, of the foundation in place. Like these are all things that will turn this team into, uh, you know, a, cons- a potential consistent winner and, and that, and you can always add players to that. And, and that includes the quarterback position. I know you said awesome. another question, Kerry. Did you want to fit another one? Yeah, in there it was just a, a real light one about, cause I'm, I, mean, I really want to see Jeff Okuda do well. Um, I just, I just seem, feel like he's like a, just a really good kid. And, um, you know, like tearing your ACL is one thing where, you know, years ago that was a death sentence for an athlete. And now if someone has a, you know, a, 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 do a ACL surgery. It's not really a big deal, but Achilles are still, you know, kind of weird. You know, I tore, I ruptured my Achilles, but I was nowhere near the athlete these guys were. And I was in my thirties, but I, I mean, it's still tight. Yeah. Um, and, and so just, I mean, you know, I, I haven't really seen a lot about, uh, about how he's recovering, but is it realistic that he'll be able to come in and and try to play this year, or is it going to be later in the season, or will we will we lose him for the the entire season? And um, what's what's the outlook for him? I I have to say, based on what I and we didn't see a ton of him on Thursday during OTAs, but he was out there with the first team when they started practice, doing eleven on eleven stuff, and it wasn't full speed; it was probably somewhere between half and, and three quarters speed. They call it the walkthrough part. Um, But based on that, based on some of the things we've seen on social media, I would be at this point shocked if he wasn't physically ready by week one. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be the starter. I think he still has to re-earn that. And will he have all of the speed? And I know people joke that he's not fast. He's plenty fast. Um, Will he have all of that still in him? I don't know. Uh, We've seen this change the trajectory of people's careers before. But I think it's it's a stunningly good sign that he is as far along as he is right now. Because what are we, like three, eight months out? And the fact that he is capable of running pretty close to full speed right now is kind of remarkable. And I don't think people point that out enough because this can take over 12 months for some people. So I don't know. I've I've been the guy that's very much been in Jeff Okuda's camp from the beginning, and maybe I'm more high in him than others, and maybe that's clouding my judgment a little bit. But to me, to see how far along he is right now, again, physically speaking, I think he's going to be there by week one. We don't know if the the talent is there, but the fact that they're also putting him out there 
with the first team is also very telling. So I don't know. I I'm buying the Jeff Okuda stock right now. I maybe maybe I'm a fool for doing it, but I I'm I'm like you. I'm very excited to see what he's got. I don't think you're a fool, Jeremy, and and I want to come back to one of your OTA observations. But like, if the Lions, if the Lions weren't super confident in Jeff Okuda being ready, would they be moving somebody like Fatu Malafanu to safety? Fair point. I mean, I, I don't want to read too much into that, but like, hey, I mean, there there has to be with all the training videos we've seen of, of you know what he's put out there, and like you said, Jeremy, if he's out there in any capacity with a helmet on. You have to be encouraged that he could physically, like you said, be ready by week one. Eric, I know you're high on him too, aren't you? Oh man, if there if there's a player on this team that I'm going to have a heart attack defending, it's going to be Jeff Okuda. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I, this week has been tough. <laughs> oh my goodness, I have seen him play in camp. I have seen his his film, and, and I don't care about the one play that he got burned on last season. I don't care. I've seen him play. I've talked to him. I've I, his mental capacity, to, his understanding of the game, his maturity, his work ethic—they are all off the charts. He is an incredible player, and and I it's I almost feel like I have to oversell him. And I'm gonna go, and it's. I feel like I'm treading into the Tracy Walker territory with me, <laughs> right? Because like I, I, I went all in on Tracy because no one else liked, no one liked him at the time, and and then he, you know, and then anytime he had a bad game, I had to hear about it from a million people. Look, I'm getting to that point with Jeff Okuda where I'm going to talk so highly of him from now on that people are going to yell at me every time he misses a play because. I think he the dismissal of him is extremely premature, and I I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to regret that they were so willing to write him off so quickly. Like there's there's so much to like about him, and the fact that he is is back at the stage where he is after eight months is impressive. I do think they're going to take it slow with him in training camp. I think he will push it. And I would I would not be surprised if they even like kept him out of like the first the some of the preseason games because they they're not going to want to push it. But this guy, it, I'm with you. If he is not on the field starting in week one, it would be surprising to me because everything about him as a person says that he will be fully prepared and and athletically and 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 what he does on the field, I fully believe he will be. Uh, a day one starter come 2022. I want to underscore a point that, that you kind of alluded to Eric, just real quick about Okuda is like the gravitas that he has for a young player. Like the way that Jerry Jacobs just attached himself to the hip of Jeff Okuda and to be a leader at this stage in his career. I mean, like how can you not root for the guy? Right. And, and, And that's the, the tide that I don't understand with lion fans. Um, and, and how it shifted on Jeff Okuda just because of the unfortunate circumstances that, that he's faced so far in his career so far. Um, man, like, again, just how can you not root for the guy? Well, I'm, I'm rooting for him, guys, and I appreciate to hear you guys have some positive insight and, um, and takes on him as well. So, you know, you just want good people to, to do well, and he just seems like exactly. a, just a good guy. So, hey, I appreciate what you guys do, and uh, 
I'll chat with you guys later. Sounds good, Kerry. Appreciate the question. And yeah, the, if, if we're planting our flag in this podcast today, it, this is a pro Jeff Okuda podcast. And if you're not along with us, there's plenty other podcasts out there for you, I'm sure. Yeah. Then you're on the wrong side of Lions you're, history. You're on the, I like that from Eric. He's a, a lot of people are going to regret it. A lot of people are going to regret it. I love that. I love that confidence. All right. We got to close things out here. We've got one more caller. Edward, thank you for being so patient. Uh, you are on with, with the Pride of Detroit podcast. Hey, guys. How you doing? Can you hear me? Good. Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. All right. Uh, I'm going to need you guys to talk me down a little bit. I think I might be riding a little too high on the Kool-Aid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a common problem these days. Right, right, right. Uh, so with our receiving weapons, Hawkinson, Jamison Williams, DJ Chark, Amon Ross, A. Brown, you know, if if health can can be maintained and golf can develop some good chemistry and find his groove, is it unreasonable to think that we could have at least two or three thousand plus yard receivers on this team? And just how does that open things up for the running game? And I, I got to be honest, it, it looks really exciting to me and I, I need to be talked down from the idea of this could be a juggernaut offense. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you're not the first to suggest that. And, and it's certainly interesting. It, it does feel like they're starting to put some things together and, and it's hard to really poke out holes, right. in in, in this offensive roster, it feels like it's close to finish. And I think maybe the one thing to, to reel people back a bit has been Jared Goff, but I mean, I don't know, a three, one, 100,000, or sorry, three, 1,000, uh, thousand yard receivers. Is that, is that, I'm, I'm trying, I, I would have to look and see if that's ever happened in Detroit Lions history. Is that, that's something that you guys think is maybe not going to happen, but at least within the realm of possibilities? I think I'm trying to remember if like Perryman Morton. Yeah, right. I, I think that was the last time it happened, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back in 19, early nineties. Right. Um, but I mean, look, they didn't, they didn't have a, a, a thousand yard receiver last year, but Amon Ra was at nine twelve, Right. And that was after not having, you know, the type of season he had in the, in the first half that he had in the second half. Right. So I, I do think get at least getting 1000 yard receiver is a realistic possibility. And I do think that Amon Ra is the most likely candidate for that. Um, I'm interested though with Jamison being injured to see if he will, um, you know, like if, if you're, if you're spreading the targets between him and Reynolds and, and Chark, like if, if they, and instead of just loading it all on one person, if, if they end up spreading it around and, and that might prevent them from having, you know, a, any another, a second thousand yard receiver. But at the same time, if you're saying like, Hey, could they have, those three guys all go for like 750. Well, maybe, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's not unrealistic, but um, if I were to pick a thousand yarder, I, I'd say St. Brown is the guy who definitely seems like he's, he's headed in that direction. Um, the outside guys, I, I do think there's potential and definitely potential in Jameson, but with his injury, um, I think it might be a bit premature to be, uh, to, to go down that Avenue just right now. Ryan, how how many thousand yard receivers are the Lions going to have, and is it going to reach three? Can we count DeAndre Swift? 
If he gets a thousand receiving yards, absolutely. Yeah. yeah okay. All right. Um, no, was, that's all tongue in cheek. Um, I, I I think to to Eric's point about like some of the some of the guys that the Lions have brought in, you know, um, you know, Jameson Williams in terms of his rehab, like how how available and how ready will he be physically? Will he play enough games in order to, in order to do something like that? Like DJ Shark, he's coming off an injury too. Um, is, is he a guy who can do that? I, I, the way that I view this Lions offense is that there are, I, I don't want to frame it as like so many mouths to feed, but there's so many weapons and there's so many opportunities to spread the ball around. Maybe, maybe the focus shouldn't be on how many thousand yard receivers they can get, but how many, how many yards Jared Goff can, can throw for this year. Um, and, and not just kind of like the meaningless yards that, that he's, you know, racking up in the fourth quarter of, of a blowout loss, but like actual, you know, in a, in a close game offense, like what is, what, what can Jared Goff do? I, I think, I think that's maybe the more interesting subplot to, to this Lions, um, uh, to this Lions offense uh, in, in 2022. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is just like, we're still kind of waiting to hear what the identity of this offense right. will be because in, under Anthony Lynn, I think we all agreed, like, they were going to try to push the run pretty hard, but everything they've done this offseason has been like, we got to throw the ball a heck of a lot better. We got to start pushing the ball downfield. And that, you know, that's going to change the, the answer to this question, whether Jared Goff is capable of doing that. We talked about it earlier in the show. How do we get Jared Goff to that place back in 2017, where he was one of the most accurate deep ball throwers in the league and, and was I think top five in yards per attempt. Um, I, I want to believe that it's all going to come together and, and they have all the pieces in place. I feel like we're pushing it a little bit though. Like it is not easy to have, to have in a thousand yard, te- you know, season. Like it doesn't, it, it didn't happen last year. I, I, I just went back and looked It it, it did not happen. They, there weren't three of them uh, during that nineties era of, of Lions um, offensive kind of dominance. Like the closest they got was in 96 where, Herman Moore had 1,300, Perriman had just over 1,000, and Johnny Morton had 700. So um, I know there's that 17th game. I know the game has changed a little bit in, in, in you know, really emphasizing the past, but I don't know. I, I, let, if I had let to me guess. Pre- let me I, present I, it with you. Let me present I, a, a slightly different variation on it. Sure. Okay. Um, instead of like saying, instead of getting like 3,000 yarders, what if they had like 1,000 yarder, but then like five 500 yarders like yeah. so you know what i mean right like, that feels more realistic for sure right because that's what that's 3500 yards and, and that's realistic like for golf and if he in and if he's spreading those targets around to those top six guys so you've got amon ra chark reynolds um hawkinson hawkinson swift and um and then jameson if if only St. Brown goes to a thousand and the other guys all go over 500 and then probably a little bit more. Well, now you're, you're getting in that 3,500 to 4,000 range. And then you're still going to have your, your Brock Wrights, your Jamal Williams guys that are still going to, you know, add on, you know, Khalif Raymond's who are still going to get there. You know, they're going to have their games where they, you know, if he, now you're getting into like, you're getting a, above 4,000 yards, but probably under 4,500 yards. That's, I think the range where golf could potentially get to this year, right? Yeah. Like I, I'm yes. not expecting a, th- a 5,000 yard season or anything like that, but I think getting over that 4,000 mark is, is very realistic considering the weapons around him. And so, 
yeah, I, you, know, you can end up with the five guys who all go over, over 500 and, that, and then a thousand yarder. And, the, and I think that would be successful. I, I think that's almost perfect in terms of expectations for, for golf is if, is, if he's the, the guy that maybe returning to that guy who threw for over 4,500 yards in, in back-to-back seasons, I think, you know, the 4,100, 4,200 range should be more than manageable for him this year. I think we'll leave it at that. Agreed. Yeah, outside of health, golf's kind of been the biggest question mark, and that's why I had to say two or three and not go to four or five thousand yards. <laughs> Fair enough, Edward. Appreciate the question, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks to all of our awesome uh, guests and, and speakers here. Uh, I think I think we had a really. I want to. I don't know. How, I feel like we had a ton of uh, great discussions. It's always hard for me to come up with a title for these posts when I throw them on Pride of Detroit because we have so many good discussions. I don't know which one I want to headline. But, again, if you want to join us next week and and be a part of these awesome discussions, uh, download the Spotify Live app. Make sure you follow us at Pride of Detroit and join us every Saturday morning. But until next time, for Eric, for Ryan, thank you all for joining us. It's chaos. Be kind. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.